so grateful for this community, so grateful for um, how we value each and every one of us and how we value pouring into our kids and our youth. And um, I'm thankful for each one of you who have um, poured into my kids and when, since they've been little all the way up until they're going to college. Um, and it's such a blessing to see um, kids raised up in this place. And we want to see your kids and more kids raised up in knowing the love of the Lord and walking and following and walking as disciples of Jesus. Um, that's our desire. That's our passion. Amen. So I want to um, speak today. We started a Sarah, Sarah kicked off a series last week, just three weeks. Um, but we want to, we're, we're doing a series out of the book of Matthew chapter 25. And there are three stories in, in the book of Matthew 25 that Jesus tells. And one of the, the reasons we wanted to do this and we wanted to try to unpack these three different stories is because Jesus is telling these stories at a time in which there's a lot of questions about what's going to happen next. Both what's going to happen next in that moment with Jesus, like what's, what's going on? What, what, tell us what's going to happen in the future. And then there's, there's um, in Matthew 24, the previous chapter, there's questions about well, what's going to happen at the end of the age. And then Jesus is telling things that will happen at the end of the age. He's also telling things that are going to happen as it relates to about, you know, 40 years later with the destruction of Jerusalem. So you have all of these time questions. And when, when I think about it and I read Matthew chapter 25, I have this, this view, this, this picture of what does, what, what does life look like for us as followers of Jesus in hard times, in end times, in turbulent times. It's like Jesus tells these three stories to be markers or anchors or things that we anchor to in difficult times. And what, what is meant to hold us? What, is, what, are, what are our lives as followers of Jesus meant to look like? And so G Sarah, in the first part of Matthew, she's told the story last week about the five uh, wise and five foolish virgins who were going out to meet the bridegroom and bringing oil. And so the message last week was being prepared, being prepared. How do we prepare with oil in our lamps? How do we walk in close relationship with the Holy Spirit? How do we, how do we, how are we prepared for the long haul and the idea of wisdom so Jesus is saying in that Matthew 20, that first story, he's saying the wise people prepare and they prepare their oil and they prepare in intimacy with the Lord and they prepare in waiting. And it's gonna, it could be a long time, but there's a preparation and a wisdom. The second story is what we're going to read today is the story about the talents that Jesus tells. And it's about uh, and we'll, we'll, get, we'll go through this story, so I'm not going to tell it today. I tell it yet. Uh, and then the third story, um, Stanley's going to speak about next week. It's about the sheep and the goats and how we care for the least. And that being a marker of the followers of Jesus, that we care and love and serve the least. So these three things, this wisdom and preparation, today it's about goodness and faithfulness. 
And next week, it's going to be about loving and caring the least. And I want you to think about those things as times in which, you know, in, in times when things are hard, um, I remember when COVID first hit, or you've had difficulty, or you've lost someone, you've had a death. I know when I've had death in, in my home, um, sometimes you just want to be at home. And you're like, I, I'm not thinking about the future. I'm not thinking about what's next. I'm not thinking about making plans. I'm not dreaming. I'm, I'm just kind of like just surviving. And when we think about hard times, yet we, the Lord has seasons for all of us and seasons of mourning and seasons of hardship. So I'm not saying we don't have seasonality, but I'm saying Jesus is speaking these words and he's saying, this is what followers of me look like. They're wise and prepared and there's oil in their lamps and they, they have this intimacy with me. They're, they're prepared. Followers of Jesus look like this is what they can be doing. These servants are, are taking the resources that Jesus gives and they're using them and they're investing and they're growing. And, and there's in the, the last part of Matthew, there's this serving and loving and caring for the least. And so in these times, in hard times, in turbulent times, I think as a church, these are meant to be pivotal anchors. We're meant to be foundations for society and culture because these are part of who we are. And, and Jesus is saying, hold on to these things. Take note of these things. Matthew 24 is like, this is, the, this is what the end of the age is going to look like. And this is what the kingdom is going to look like in the midst of that. This is what my followers are going to look like in the midst of that. And so we wanted to equip us as we read these words of Jesus and these stories of Jesus. I love that when he tells parables, um, there's not a singular interpretation or a singular layer Parables are so multidimensional. There's so many things we can take from them. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just breathe on us today in these areas. So the message today out of this middle portion of Matthew 25, I'm calling Joyful Partnership. And uh, we were praying in our pre-service prayer time this morning. And um, Dan came to pre-service prayer. It's so great to have Dan here. And he was like, man, I just, he starts praying about the joy of the Lord. He's like, man, I feel like, the, the Lord just wants us to have joy today and the joy of the Lord. And I was like, well, he didn't know what the title of my message was. And I said, well, the title of my message is Joyful Partnership Today. This, is, this parable, it's not a commentary about salvation and God's acceptance of us. Sometimes we can read this parable and get very works-oriented in how we read it. This parable is set in the context of Jesus's completion of his ministry on earth He's about to suffer. He's about to be resurrected. He's about to go away. And he's trying to convey to his followers, what are the times in which you live? I almost felt like today was like, I wish the graduates were almost in here. I felt like this was like my high school speech. Like when I was graduating from high school, and I'm sure all high school graduates are like, you hate the question, what's next? What are you going to do next? And, and now I feel like they could turn it back on me being 47 years old and be like, well, what are you doing with your life? Like, That's still a valid question. So why do we ask that question of 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds trying to figure out what's next? But this idea, uh, that's where Jesus is at in his ministry. It's like, what's next? In Luke, Luke tells a similar story in Luke 19. It's a slightly different parable. So I think there's two different stories. But 
but the context are the disciples are saying, well, are you going to establish your kingdom now? And then he tells the story. And the idea here is that Jesus is saying, this is what you should be up to while I'm gone. The disciples are looking at Jesus like, what's next? What are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? And he's like, well, actually, you're going to do it. I'm going. You're staying. Congratulations. And you're going to do what's next. What's next is for us. That's what this story is about. What's next? He wants to view ourselves as inheritors of great gifts that we're called to work with. And as we think, as we think Jesus would work with them. What's next? Remember, Jesus says, I'm going to come back. So I'm going to go away. I'm going to come back in the meantime. I want you to be wise in your preparation. I want you to be faithful and good with the gifts I give you. And I want you to be caring and loving as you serve the least. So as we begin to look at Matthew chapter 25, I want to put up one scripture just as a reminder for us in Ephesians 2. And it's almost like I want, to, I want this to be your thought as we go into Matthew 25. Paul says this. He says, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want us to talk today about the good works that God's prepared in advance to do, for us to do. And it's as we unpack Matthew, this Matthew 25, I think hopefully we will see more of this. But we're going to read, I want to read Matthew 25, verses 14 through 20, uh, 30. And I just want you to hear, read, listen. These are the words of Jesus. Think about yourself sitting on a mountain outside of Jerusalem with Jesus. You've got these questions in your mind, and, and these are the words that Jesus says. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See here is what, is, what, it, see here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. 
So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw out that, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's the story that Jesus tells. And again, when we read stories and we read parables, um, Jesus is not, you know, you've heard it said, metaphors break down over time. Um, I'll give you an example in this story. There's some descriptions of the master that are like, you're harsh, you're mean. And, and, and when you start thinking about some of those descriptions, you go, man, that doesn't really reflect the God I know. But it would have reflected, it would have been consistent with the story at the time. So we have to think about as we read these stories, what's, what's the larger message being told here? Not just what are the pieces that we could pull out. So let's just talk about this story and uh, ask the Lord to just breathe on it with us today. So as, as the story begins, this master comes and entrusts, and in different translations, it says he gives, he entrusts, and in here it was wealth or possessions or goods or money. Um, there's different terminology used. This is bags of gold. Um, but in, in, in the language that was used in the Greek, that it, it's conveying like millions of dollars. Lots, a lot of money, significant amount of money. What I love about this story is that it starts with this idea that God gives first. God gives first. Think about that as it relates to our lives, like as it related to the stories that maybe the disciples were used to. When they were in, imprisoned or in, in bondage in Egypt, Pharaoh came to them and said, make more bricks, and I will not give you any materials to make those bricks. He was a harsh taskmaster who had expectations with no resources. And it's like Jesus comes and he says, hey, I'm going to go on a trip, but the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give to you. The big investment of the Lord, the big investment of Jesus, he, he's not like, I'm going to go buy some property down on, like, you know, on the, on the Mediterranean or on the, on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus didn't be like, I'm going to go invest in land. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to invest everything I've got in people, and I'm going to give God gives first. God is the anti-Pharaoh. The anti-Pharaoh. God comes and he gives first. And we have because he gives. The New Testament, and if you, if you look up the word giving in the New Testament, it's everywhere. He gave, he gave, he gave, he gave, he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Giving, giving, giving. That is part of the identity of what Jesus did. Ephesians 4 talks about when Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts, right? Remember that? It says that he gave gifts. Jesus is talking about how God gives to his followers of his resources for us to steward it, for us to receive it, for us to, to possess it, to hold it, to act as God would with it. Jesus is like, He's, he's thinking, I'm going to give, the master's going to give this, and I have an expectation that the people I give it to, 
the servants, the slaves that I'm going to give it to, they're going to do with it as I would. They're going to represent me. They're going to take what I give, and they're going to use it in ways that I would use it. Jesus is, the disciples were wondering, Jesus, what are you going to do next? And Jesus is like, well, I'm going to give to you, and then you're going to do what's next. He's saying that to us. When we look at our lives, when we look at the times in which we live, man, Jesus is saying, you're my investment. I'm all in on you. I'm all in on my kingdom looking like my kingdom through you. Jesus's expectations is that we'll take what he's entrusted with us and be good and faithful with it to use Jesus's resources in ways that reflect how he would use them. Isn't that cool? He's, he gave, what, what's, what's interesting in the next part of this passage, it says he gave to each according to their ability. According to their power is another translation. He gave according to their ability. He gave what, what was appropriate for them, this master did. This master knew each one so well and he's like, well, you can handle a million. You might be able to handle five million. That's okay. He gave to each one. It reminds me in Paul, of Paul in Romans 12, 3. He says this to the Romans. He says, for by the grace given, there's that word again, given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. In accordance, the Lord has distributed faith. He's distributed gifts. He's distributed resources to us. And he says, Paul goes on to say, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. These are some of those resources, some of those things that the Lord has given to us to walk in. What are the graces that have been given to you? What are the gifts? What are the talents? What are the things that have been poured out to you? I think it's a very American thing for us to say, to tell our kids, well, you can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be. When I was five years old, um, I loved to watch football. And I remember there was a famous running back at the time named Tony Dorsett, who played for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, not old school guy, but I remember me asking my mom one day, my mom retells the story. What is Tony? I said, mom, what's Tony Dorsett going to do when I take his job? And that was, my, that was my thinking at five years old. I am like, man, I, I want to be a running back in the NFL. Well, I didn't make it, um, as you can tell. Uh, I didn't make it past ninth grade. Uh, and there were just some things that the Lord did not give me that are required to be able to play in the NFL. Those were not gifts that were given to me. I'll just leave it at that. But this idea that we can be anything we want, we can do anything we want. I, I love the dream aspect of that. Like, let's not, let's, let's not let our dreaming and the callings of the Lord be small. Let's not diminish them. No, let's not 
understate them. But also, let's be about discovering what are the gifts and resources that the Lord's given us and, and be really excellent at them. Be really excellent at them because he hasn't given you all of them. He hasn't given us everything to do, but he's given us something to do. He's given us gifts according to our faith. He's given us gifts according to our ability, as Jesus said in that story. So each person, these, in, back in this story in Matthew 25, these three people have decisions to make. What do they do with these resources that have been given to them? Um, and it says, Jesus says, they put their money to work. There's an old Seinfeld bit that says, Seinfeld's like, I don't want my money to work for me. Um, he's like, I, I don't want to just send my money out and let it work. Uh, I want to do the work. No, none of you. Okay, that's all right. Um, but they put, they put their money to work. They went about it. And the one guy said, ah, eh, for a ver- variety of reasons, he decides to bury it, decides not to do anything with it. And we know the, the master returns and comes and takes the count. The master says, what did you do with what I entrusted you with? How did you live? What happened? How did you go about this? And you know the story. We read it. Each one with the five, they doubled it. The two, they doubled it. And Jesus's response to them is, well done, good and faithful servant. I love, I love that response. I love Jesus elevating this concept of faithfulness. What we, we oftentimes elevate different things in society today. We sell it. We can, what, what do we elevate? What do we pursue? What do we seek after? Is it fame? Is it influence? Is it exposure? What is it that we seek after? What is it that the Lord commands? The Lord commends this faithfulness. And, and he says this, he says, you've been faithful with a little the, the, the Greek in there says puny. You've been faithful with a puny amount. Um, I'm going to make you faithful with more. He says that. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many. In Luke, it says, you've been faithful with this money. I'm going to put you in charge of 10 cities. This is one of our biggest lessons in life that Jesus stresses. As humans, we want to be big, popular, spectacular. And Jesus says, are you being faithful with what I've given you? As a parent, how do we, we do this with our kids, right? Like, man, if you can't be faithful with your bicycle, I'm not giving you the keys to the car. Sorry. Right? If you can't be faithful with this toy, I'm not giving you a phone. We we have this principle. We understand it as parents. We understand it as employees. If you have an employee and employers and employees, if you have an employee and you entrust them with the project and they blow you off, after like, you know, one or two times, you're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. This isn't working. We're going to need to have some conversations, right? We grow as we're faithful in the things that we've been given to grow in. The question is, are we being faithful with what we've been given? in our work lives, in our family lives, in our relationships? Are we faithful with what we've been given? Or we could spend time complaining about what we've not been given. I don't know about you, but that's what I I can spend time thinking about. We can spend time fixating on what we don't have and what other people do have. 
when I'm talking to people, when I think about counseling, when I think about encouragement, one of the first questions that always comes to my mind is, what is in their hands? What do they have? What is the faith that you have? What has the Lord given you? The Lord always starts with what we have. He's given. He started first by giving, and we have. And that's the place that the Lord starts with all of us. I was talking to a business owner the other day, and this business owner has thousands of employees. And they're looking to grow and do new things all the time. But what he was talking about was, well, I got a text this morning and someone, one of our thousands of employees, just, he just passed away. And he said, and tonight I'm, I'm flying out somewhere else because someone in another region has cancer. And so I've been going down there to help things. And I love that. I love the heart in this person because the Lord loves our work. The Lord loves that that's where his kingdom gets expanded. That's how we care and love for people. And so he wasn't saying, well, we got we to gotta go do all these other things and all these other things. He was saying, we got to take care of what we've got as well. We've got to care for the people and the employees that we have. He wasn't talking about more. He was talking about how to be good and faithful with what he has. So then Jesus ends this good and faithful servant section. And he says, come and share in your master's happiness. Other translations say, come and share, enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into this. In the message, I love how Eugene Peterson says this. He says this, um, I just need to find it. You did your job well, from now on, be my partner says, be my partner, enter with my joy, enter into my happiness. When you think about Genesis 1, the charge in the garden that, that the Lord made was to be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over things, rule things well, do things well. Enter into the joy that the master has for you. Enter into the happiness of the Lord. If we receive and walk and possess and, and are faithful with the things the Lord gives us, there's no greater joy. Jesus said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Joy is connected to this. If we receive this, there will be joy. It's not connected to whether we got one or two or five. It's connected to the faithfulness and, and seeing the Lord bring increase and seeing what the Lord will do. The joy of partnering with Jesus, the joy of reflecting Jesus and seeing his good work accomplished. John Mark Comer, he's written a book called Garden City, and it talks about this idea of work and rest and our calling as believers. And he says this, a good chunk of Jesus's parables were about work, commerce, trade, money, management, employer, employer relationships, and so on. A lot of them end by basically saying that how you work now has a direct effect on how you will work in the future. And he's, you hear the words of Jesus saying, if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. I'll give you more. I'll give you more. So as I was reading this, I, 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 I remembered a quote by Theodore Roosevelt. I had to look up who quoted this. 
But there's a quote out there, and Theodore Roosevelt said this, comparison is the thief of joy. I was thinking about this parable and in our society today and our ability to, to instantly compare our lives and ourselves and our jobs and our employment and our places and everything. We have instant ability to live in a comparison world. I think we are living extremely distracted lives. Lives that are comparing upwards, things that, oh man, I, I'm, I'm not there yet. I don't measure up. This is so much better. I've got two talents. These guys have five. It's clear. Um, or downwards of, well, um, I feel sorry for this person. I'm better than them. What, however the comparison is, we can spend our time looking in a comparison world all the while doing nothing with what we've been given. I think that's where we're lacking our strength today. The Bible talks about the joy of the Lord being our strength. When we spend our time and consume our lives in comparing ourselves with other people, we have no strength. We don't have strength for the things that the Lord's given us to do. Our joy will come. Our joy will come as we live out and work from the gifts that we've been given and that joy was going to fuel us and it's going to give us strength. We can either walk in faithfulness or we can walk in comparison. We can walk in faithfulness or we can walk in blame. What fuels your joy thieves? Do you have joy thieves? I have joy thieves. What fuels them? Envy, jealousy, false responsibility, I find if I want to flip, if I want to get depressed quickly, I can flip on my social media feed and get depressed very quickly because of comparison, right? When we're faithful with what we are given, we're going to find joy and strength. Life has enough hardships of its own. Let's not add comparison as an unnecessary part of it. Be faithful with what we've been given. Share in Jesus' joy. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're in Spanish class and you're learning to speak Spanish and you're, you're envious of your professor who can speak Spanish than you, that's a good thing, right? Comparison can be something that is meant to, to give us a picture about our immaturity and our ability to be teachable. So being able to be honest with where we are at and desirous to grow in maturity, that's healthy. So sometimes we can say, well, in order for my joy to complete, I'm not going to compare myself against anyone. I've had these conversations with kids like, hey, when can I be on the worship team? It's like, well, when, when you can, uh, you know, play your instrument at a higher level than what you play it at now. If you've ever watched American Idol in the early days, they like to put the real bad actor, the bad singers on for all of our amusement. Um, and, and you kind of go, man, I wish that person had a, a true friend who could tell them, yeah, you know, I don't think you should be trying out for American Idol. Um, so 
I don't want us to, I, so don't hear me saying that, because we can take this and say, well, the Lord's given me this gift, and I'm really, this is my gift, and da, 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 and it's like, well, yeah, but it needs to be developed, it needs to be matured. In fact, in Ephesians 4, where it says Jesus gave gifts to the church, it was for their maturity, for their growing up, so that they weren't uh, like infants tossed to and from. So don't live a life of comparison, but let's live a life of maturity. And you saw that with Jesus. The disciples came back. Jesus said, go out, pray for people, cast out demons, see healings. They came back and they're like, you wouldn't believe what happened. This is amazing. This is amazing. He's like, awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay. It's like, okay, I'm going to stop you right there. That's amazing. But, but don't rejoice in that. Like rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. This is where your rejoicing should be. So you see Jesus modeling this idea of stepping out and then refining and maturing us. The disciples in another spot were like, man, we want to be great. We want to be great. We want to be great. And Jesus is like, okay, well, the greatest among you is going to be the servant of all. And he brings a child into their midst. And then he says, and would you give a cup of water to someone? And in Mark, the next passage, it says that they heard about somebody else casting demons out. And they're like, Jesus, tell him to stop. And he's like, no, if he's, if he's with us, I'm not going to stop him. Jesus was refining them. If we want to be great, then we've got to serve. The gifts, resources, and talents that Jesus has entrusted to you will only be effective if you understand the principles behind how they're fruitful. Laying down our lives for others. Serving others. In fact, I think the next session, you, we need to read the last chapter in Matthew 25 to understand what that, those gifts poured out look like. Feeding the hungry. Is it inviting the stranger in? Taking up our cross and following me. So the third servant, he's the one who came back and he said, I'm afraid I hit it. You were demanding, and Jesus is like, man, you're, the master was like, you're being lazy. You're being wicked. And the guy even has almost the audacity to blame the master. Like, well, I didn't do anything because I knew you had, like, high standards. So really, it's your fault. If you wanted me to do something, you shouldn't have had any expectations of me. And he's like, well... You could have done like nothing and put it in the bank and I could have gotten interest. And, and that would have been for the hearers at the time, the Jews, they said you weren't, in their law, you weren't supposed to charge interest. So Jesus was like, well, maybe you could have at least done that, even something you might not have supposed to have been doing. But I, but I think it's interesting, this guy, he gave it back and he said, here's what belongs to you. And if you read the text closely, those that, that had two talents and went and got more, it says they had them. And at the end of the passage, when, when he takes this one bag and gives it to the guy who has 10, it says, give this to the one who has 10. The guy who had 10, he had them. This guy who had one, he says this. He said, here is what belongs to you. He never, never owned it. He never took responsibility for it. It's, it's like he, he was a renter only. If you've ever rented, you know that nothing you do to improve that property 
is going to be for you in the future. So you're kind of like, I don't know. I'm just renting. Have you ever said that? I'm just renting. I don't know. It's just a rental. Um, in fact, don't, you don't want to buy a rental car because it's just been a rental. People are not thinking about the long-term care of that vehicle. That's the kind of attitude that you see in this guy. I remember um, we, got, uh, we, we took care of a dog for a couple of years. And um, we always viewed ourselves as just taking care of somebody else's dog. I was thinking this week as I was preparing for this message, I wonder what they would have thought of like, hey, we took care of your dog and here's another one. <laughs> you gave us one dog, we'll give you four dogs back. Isn't that what you, the Lord wants us to do? Aren't you blessed? <laughs> Maybe one person would be blessed by that. But he says, it's, it's almost as if this servant is blaming God's omnipotence as a reason for doing nothing. Like, well, I know that you're harsh and you can do all these things and you can gather where you didn't sow and you can do all these things. So what does it really matter? Like, you could make it happen. I don't need to make anything happen. How do we receive this correction or challenge from Jesus? Are we guilty of burying what God has given us to do? I don't know. I'm just a renter here. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have it in an abundance. But whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken from them. Is that a confusing enough passage? Whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken from them. That was this guy who had the one bag of gold. He had it, but he didn't have it. He had it and put it in a hole and said, it's really not mine. I'm just going to make sure I give it back to you. It's not, not my responsibility. It's not my work to do. And the Lord was like, I'm giving this to you. Come partner with me. And I think sometimes we can fall back on, well, that's just the omnipotence of the Lord. The Lord wants that done. It'll get done. The, the third servant never saw himself as having anything. He didn't see that the master gave him something to have, to use, to hold so he took what he had and buried it. He took no responsibility for it. It never became something that he possessed. But those who got it, they got it. Man, the Lord's given this to me. He's calling me a partner. We're going, he's invested in me. He wants to see me succeed. N.T. Wright says this about work. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether, as the hymn so mistakenly puts it. They're part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. This principle of what have we been given? What has the Lord given you? I've been given five. I've been given two. I've been given one. Think about Jesus's ministry. Jesus even had some finite boundaries around what he was given. Think about that for a second. Jesus said it. 
twice in Matthew 15 and in Matthew 10. Jesus said that he was sent in Matthew 15, 24. Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. And then when Jesus sends out the disciples in Matthew 10, 5, he says this, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. There's kind of this theme where Jesus says, I was sent to the lost people of Israel. That's kind of interesting. It's like, what, was Jesus being fenced in? Did Jesus, was Jesus confined? Did Jesus only get two? Like Peter apparently got to go more places and go other places and have more of a multinational ministry than what Jesus did. Jesus, Jesus said, this is my focus. This is what I've been given. He also says this when he's praying the, the great prayer in John 17. You know what Jesus says? This, and I, I want to read out of John 17, but he talks about how he was given his disciples. He says, I've, he's praying this, Jesus bring this to the Lord. I've revealed to you, you God, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. Even Jesus is saying, you gave me the disciples and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and then believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me. For they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Isn't that it? And then he says this, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. He's talking about Judas there. Isn't that interesting that, that um, you can take it off for a second, thanks. Um, that Jesus is talking about, he was given the disciples. He was given this finite group of people. What do you think, what did Jesus have to show for the end of his life? Is that, a, you, ever, you ever thought about that? Like, what did, what did Jesus have to show for the end of his life? He had disciples the ones that the Lord had given him. He laid down his life. He said, I'm a seed that falls into the ground that has to die to bring forth life. That was his, another marker of what he had. He had his life to lay down. He had the kingdom that was left in the hearts of people. People that had received the good news, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, the oppressed set free, the Lord's favor declared for people. That's what he left. He left these things behind. And what I find fascinating about us as we think about these things and we think about, we, we almost apply this, this prosperity gospel idea to this, the, this story about the servants and we don't see how it applied back into the lives of the disciples where all of the 12 disciples ended, uh, 11 of the 12 ended in martyrdom. They ended up, their lives being laid down. It was a reverse gospel, a reverse kingdom. What did Jesus have? 
Jesus was faithful with the nation of Israel. He was faithful with his disciples. When he started his prayer in John 17, though, he, he purchased salvation for the whole world. So Jesus did something for the whole world, as Stan said this morning. He did it for the whole world. But the focus and the gifts and the, his callings were finite and were limited. Paul and Peter had the same thing. They talked about in Galatians. Paul says this, um, and I'm not, I, won't, I won't read the passage, but, but this idea that Paul said, I was given the Gentiles and, and Peter's, Peter was given the Jews. This idea of calling or inheritance or talent or gift, the places, the things that Jesus gave to them. Paul was like, I've been given the Gentiles this. Instead, they saw God had given me, Paul, responsibility of preaching the gospel of the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle of the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift, the gift, the gift of God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. And he's like, that shouldn't, that shouldn't change, whether it's the Jews or the Gentiles. And I think Stanley will talk more about that next week in Matthew 25. Paul sent significant time in teaching and resources in reaching the Gentiles. And you know what? That, 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 those five bags of gold that, that were given to Paul to work with the Gentiles, they grew. There were 10, there were 20. There was so much that grew. Paul spent significant time teaching resources in legitimizing and establishing the gospel for the Gentiles. This was not a one-time crusade to the Gentiles. Paul laid down his life for the Gentiles. He laid down his life. What we've been given to do, the callings, the resources, the people, the things that the Lord's given us to do, the Lord will increase them and he may decrease us. Sometimes we, we like the idea of the Lord increasing those things, but we don't, I don't like the idea of the Lord decreasing me. As the, Lord, as the Lord's kingdom expands, we're his servants. We've come to serve. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Lay down your life. What we've been given to do will be costly. There's going to be a great increase in great inheritance, just like we saw with the early believers but there was a great cost. There was persecution associated with it. We can easily accept this story in Matthew 25 as a parable of Jesus and make it about the American dream of acquiring more, about prosperity. But we should look at his earliest disciples and see how this gets played out in their lives. What does it look like? Henry Nouwen says this, about the Christian leader. It says, the way of the Christian leader is not the way of upward mobility, in which our world has invested so much, but the way of downward mobility ending on the cross. Powerlessness and humility 
in the spiritual life does not refer to people who have no spine and who let everyone make decisions for them. They refer to people who are so deeply in love with Jesus that they're ready to follow him wherever he guides them, always trusting that with him, they will find life and to find it abundantly. There's this joyful partnership for the joy set before Jesus. He endured the cross. Matthew 25 is about Jesus calling his followers, his people, and saying, let's go create, partner with me. I'm giving you the resources. I've been giving you the talents. Let's enter into this joyous partnership. The Lord takes joy in us taking what he gives us and making more. Not everything we make is going to be great. That's for sure. Things will be refined in the fire. We're going to experiment um, we're going to, Paul talks about things, wood, hay, and stubble being burned up. There's going to be some stuff that just doesn't last. But let's go for it. Let's remember the context of this story. It's Jesus giving input to his followers on how they should live in our days. God is the giver. He entrusts us with gifts, responsibilities, resources, calling. And we can either receive them, possess them, walk in them and be good and faithful with them. Or we can, we can treat them as if, ah, they're not really mine. I'm going to put them in a rock and I'll give them back to the Lord because the Lord can do it anyway. As we work, we will see the increase and the Lord will increase us. The Lord in, will increase you. As you step out in the gifts that you've been given, the Lord's going to increase you. The Lord's going to increase your calling. He's going to increase your influence. He's going to increase what the Lord's called you to do. He wants us to abound. This joyful partnership. There's this, uh, at the end of this story that we've been reading, it says, that, you know, give that one bag to the guy who had 10. And there's this abundance. There's the word abounding that's in there. I want to close with one scripture and a couple thoughts. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, Paul is ending this passage, and he's talking about big things, and he says, when the perishable, talking about today, here and now, has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with vitality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I love that these big things, this the, the, death, the, the sting of death and the sting of sin and the things that Jesus has overcome. And what does Paul translate this into? Let us, let us give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Let us stand firm. This is abounding. It says um, in a different translation that always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. It says abounding in the work of the Lord. There's an abundance in the work of the Lord. It's the same word, that abounding is the same word as when Jesus fed the 5,000, he fed the multitudes. He's like, I should probably have like 12 baskets left over or seven baskets left over. I should probably have a lot left over. 
that word abounding is the word that's used then. There's this abundance. We are called to abound, to abundance, to joyful partnership. So let's put away comparison and envy and immaturity. Let's put away distraction of what others have and what we don't have. And let's receive and accept what the Lord has given to us. Let's repent of our laziness and our reliance upon God doing it himself. We have each been given a good work to do. Let's not let discouragement keep us stuck in apathy. Jesus spoke these words to remind us for the times in which we live. Let's remember that our work is work of serving. And anyone who wants to be great will be the servant of all. I had one last quote here from John Mark Comer that I liked here. Just remember one last thing. And he's talking about taking what the Lord's given us, the callings that the Lord's given us. He said, I want you to partner with me. Man, these servants that Jesus called, he gave him millions of dollars and he's like, go for it. Go for it. Jesus is like, I'm out of here. You guys go for it. And, he, and, and John Mark Homer reminds us of this. If your dreams are all about you, then your dreams are way too small. You need to dream larger, larger than your job or career or net worth or name or body. You need dreams as large as Jesus's vision of the kingdom, a kingdom where greatness has been radically redefined around a crucified Messiah, where children are the guests of honor, where servants lead. I mistyped that. Where servants lead and leaders serve, where the last are first. Would you stand? I want to pray for us this morning. Lord, we just come and we thank you for you are the ultimate generous God. You give gifts upon gifts upon gifts. You are an abundant God. And I just speak that over each person in this room. Lord, if, if we've come here today, if we're watching online, if we believe, man, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Lord, would you, would you open our eyes to see what you've given us? If we've never received before, Lord, we want to receive. Would you pour out on us? You say that you gave Jesus so that we might have eternal life, that we might have forgiveness of sins. We want to receive all that you've given us. We want to receive Jesus today. Lord, would you make us people of abundance, people of abounding, Lord, that we would not look on the things that you've given us and bury them in holes, but Lord, that we would look upon what you've given us and say, how can we joyfully partner with you? Lord, forgive me for comparison and envy and distraction. Lord, I repent of those things. I walk away from those things. Lord, for all of us that we could walk away from those things and we could find our strength again. We could find our strength being in partnering with you, in the joy that comes at partnering with you. Lord, in these times, we want to serve and we want to love and we want to lay down our lives. You say anyone who wants to be great will be the servant of all. Lord, you've given us great gifts to be great servants. Will you empower us to do that? In Jesus' name, amen.